You're listening to Hear Arizona. Addressing issues, empowering our community. They believe in the American dream. And over and over, they make it come true for themselves, for their children, and for others. If we have no sense of community, the American dream will continue to wither. Rich or poor, able, disabled, gay or straight, you can make it here in America. Sadly, the American dream is dead. One thing we all know is the middle class has been dealt out of the American dream for too long. It's a receding dream. The American Dream The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the noun phrase the American Dream as this, a happy way of living that is thought of by many Americans as something that can be achieved by anyone in the U.S., especially by working hard and becoming successful. And their example sentence is, with good jobs, a nice house, two children, and plenty of money, they believed they were living the American Dream. However, does this idea of the American dream still exist in Arizona? Many used to believe that if you worked hard enough, you could do anything you set your mind to, that everything would just fall into place. In fact, many family homes were filled with just one hard worker bringing in the income. And that was enough for the family to comfortably live in a suitable home with food on the table. Now it appears that you need to bring in two incomes per family household to live a life that's affordable. And even dual-income families in the middle class seem to still be struggling to find an affordable and comfortable home. And there is little in the way of help due to a lot of organizations focusing on assisting the lower class. I'm Lori Chase. I have lived in Glendale, Arizona since 1972. I work in a medical research facility. I'm a receptionist. I love what I do. I love working with people. And I currently have, I think, the best job in my career. And I'm very happy where I'm at that way. And uh, I have my dog and my cat, and that's my family. And uh, that's me in a nutshell. I, I'm pretty much a native. I was about three when I moved here. Lori's struggle in the current housing market is as a renter. And she wants to continue to rent rather than buy. I love being a renter. I have somebody that fixes things if it goes wrong. And when I moved into my apartment in 2018, they require you to make two and a half times the rent for your income. So, you know, we were going along a three to five increase every year. And what really stopped me in my tracks is this year the increase is 22%, um, nearly $200. So I'll be paying – 1100 plus dollars for 600 square feet. Lori's apartment is close to the home she grew up in. She feels familiar and happy in the area and doesn't have plans to move elsewhere. And I like where I am. I feel safe in my apartment complex, safer than I did in my home, but that safety is coming at a very high price. I mean, I don't see how people are going to be able to have the two and a half times the rent for income. I honestly don't see anybody making over 3000 a month wanting to live in 600 square feet. A report by 24-7 Wall Street says incomes are rising rapidly in Arizona for the wealthiest 20%, while middle-class household incomes remain stagnant. 
Household income is the combined gross income of all members in a household at a working age. Here's an example. If Beth earns $40,000 a year teaching and her husband earns $70,000 in construction, their combined family income is $110,000. And let's say they have a roommate whose income is $50,000 a year. That would mean that their household income is $160,000. And currently in Arizona, the median household income is close to $59,000. The average household income for the top 20% is about $203,000 and the average for the bottom 20% is about 13,500. So as home prices and rent increase, not to mention this year's rise in gas prices and other common expenses, where does that leave people like Lori if middle-class income remains stagnant? I mean, heck, I could even end up living in my car if, if I'm not careful. And, you know, I really have to cut back my spending. I worry about, about utilities, about food, and it's gonna be a very challenging year. Lori told me that she makes just enough money to not qualify for some of the help that lower-class individuals may qualify for. But she makes just little enough to worry about cutting all expenses and getting second and third jobs to relieve stress. You know, as I said, I got a good job and, and that, but now everything, it's going to take me a check plus just to cover the rent. So my, I'm going crazy trying to work out my budget. I'm losing sleep. I'm stressed. It's, it's just impossible to imagine how I'm going to survive with that rent. I will do it. I mean, I, I sell Tupperware. I'm going to have to start selling it and not buying it. I'm going to start driving Uber. But where's the quality of life? Essentially, I'll be paying $1,100 to come home and go to bed to wake up and leave. As I previously mentioned, a middle-class income for a single individual may not be enough to live an affordable lifestyle, and Lori is living that notion. I saw a meme that I thought was so fitting. It says, I want a two-income lifestyle, but to live alone. And that's really what you need. You need two incomes. I, I am alone. Uh, my husband passed away in 2010. He was 44. And I took care of my mother through her Alzheimer's, and that's when I, I left the house uh, after she passed and started my my life, you know, no longer taking care of everybody else. And learning to take care of yourself is really hard. People don't realize that. But I don't even – can't even think about taking care of myself worrying. I can't imagine the single mother, the single father, you know, a family with two kids, somebody that's a caregiver for the elderly now. I, I can't imagine. I'm struggling enough just taking care of me. I can't imagine. And, and in a way, I'm kind of grateful that I don't have to take care of anybody because it would be sad to have to say no to absolutely everything. I mean, I say it to myself, but. So in Lori's opinion of the American dream here in Arizona, I'm also looking at it from the perspective of a 52-year-old woman. The American dream is gone for me. Thankfully, I had an incredible childhood. My parents, you know, they had one income because mother couldn't was handicapped, and, and they managed to keep a beautiful home, food on the table. I never wanted, I never knew if times were tight, and I can't imagine having a family in in this environment now. I just... I can't. I don't think, I think honestly, if you haven't attained the American dream at this point, if some major changes don't happen in the world, 
you're not going to. I mean, what is the American dream anymore? It was a, a house, a car, a couple of kids, and also something I was thinking about that I don't know if a lot of people do. It was a sense of community. It was neighbors. But now we're such a transient population. You you don't build those relationships. Um, I No, I, I'm sorry. I don't think that the American dream is, is alive. It might be salvageable, salvageable rather, but I don't, I don't think so. Tina Tamboer is a senior housing analyst for the Cromford Report. When looking at household incomes versus affordability, she says there's assumed to be two incomes per home. You know, there's household income, but a household can be one elderly individual on fixed Social Security, which mm-hmm. could be like, you know, 20000 a year or whatever. Or it can be one individual in their 20s making 35000 a year. So when we look at housing affordability, and this might be a little bit outdated these days, but we assume two people will be buying a home. It's a lot easier um, for a couple to purchase. So we always look at household, meaning two adults in the household. But now it could be a stay-at-home mom or dad while the other person is working. Either way, housing analysts look for two working-age adults in the household in terms of affordability, whether they're both working or not. Now, interestingly enough, uh, the Pew Research Center just came out um, last month and and showed that there are more and more people living alone, not getting married. That will affect affordability, you know, for people that are like, I'm never going to be able to afford a home. To look at a median income in terms of affordability, Tina goes off of what the Home Opportunity Index uses from Housing and Urban Development, which is 79000 as the median, meaning 50% make more than that and 50% make less. I think from a standardization level, um, when you look at the Home Opportunity Index, I'll just use that because they they use the standard of what's considered affordable. So if you make, um, you know, $79,000 a year, they believe that about 28% of your gross income is affordable to go towards housing. You know, when they say towards housing, they don't mean all of it. They mean towards your payment, right? So in Greater Phoenix at 79000 that means that you can afford 1843 a month. And so if your rents are going up in their 2100 a month, you know, then that means that that those are becoming a little less affordable. I'd say for a 1500 to 2000 square foot home today in Greater Phoenix, you're looking at a median of about 410,000 and your payment is right around like $1977 a month. And for those who are looking to buy a home with one income, and I just turned 50 so I can say this, back in my day, we got married. That's what, that's kind of how it used to work, you know. So the whole concept of being able to afford a home just on a single income is probably not necessarily the best uh expectation in today's market. So for people like Lori Chase, who believe the American dream is dead, well, Tina thinks maybe the dream never really existed for middle-class singles. I don't know that it was ever alive for people who were single, like intended that way. You know, it just worked out that historically speaking, there was a reason why your parents would always, you know, pressure you to find your soulmate, get married, blah, 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 start right away, you know, because technically it is 
you know, the whole adage, nobody succeeds alone kind of does fall into this group where, you know, it used to be that people got married, then they could qualify together on their joint income and that, you know, early on. But these days it's, you know, cultural changes, not to mention a lot of changes in how much debt we take on, you know. But for middle-class families with a home in dual income, the pressures of finding an affordable home are still great. With the flow of people moving to Arizona and the housing shortage, many families are still feeling hopeless. However, Tina believes the American dream is still very much alive for those dual-income families, even those that are under the median. You might, you know, and you stop looking and you stop really dreaming, then you'll miss the opportunities. And, and there are always opportunities in real estate, especially if you're willing to get your hands dirty. So I guess my biggest thing is don't be absolute in this market. Real estate um, real estate just isn't like that. Uh, it's not dead, never is. You just have periods of time when it's better and periods of time when it's not so great. But um, I'd say just that don't give up. If that's what you want. Katie Gentry works for the Maricopa Association of Governments as a human services planner. She spends most of her day trying to figure out how they can get better as a system, finding ways to coordinate resources more effectively, and how to bring the right resources to the table. I mean, I would say the greatest challenge is we do not have enough housing for people in Arizona, let alone the growth that we've seen. And so we've continued to see housing become unaffordable because prices just have to continue to increase because the supply and demand are not equal. Um, we have a, a huge rise in demand comparatively to supply, and that is continuing to lead to unaffordability. I will also say that um, we need to just start building more and we need to build every type of housing in every community. So we can't just build luxury apartments in the downtown area. We need affordable and attainable and luxury apartments all in one area. And if nonprofits primarily focus on the lower class and the unhomed, while developers focus on the upper class, resources are not benefiting the middle class. But, additionally, within the last couple of years, nonprofits have had a more difficult time helping the vast amount of growing lower-class individuals find affordable housing. And not having enough affordable housing has a negative effect on the community as well. The National Low-Income Housing Coalition reports that the shortage of affordable housing costs the American economy about $2 trillion a year in lower wages and productivity. Because you don't have affordable housing there, because you're increasing costs of education and transportation and distance from work and you're less productive. And so unfortunately, like as you push more and more people who need affordable housing to the outskirts, we're being less productive and we have less tax dollars on the inside. So I think that as we continue to kind of grow and expand, we need to think about growing and expanding in all types of housing, not just one. A report released by the state of Arizona says that we are short of 505,000 housing units based on population. That unit shortage says that we have that many units short, and I think there are developers trying to attack this, city governments are trying to attack this, but at the end of the day, like, we, how can you build 505,000 units in a year's time or even five years' time? Back in 2008, Arizona was in a place where we had overproduction compared to our population. But then the recession hit, and we went into a very sharp decline. 
This is an extraordinary period for America's economy. Over the past few weeks, many Americans have felt anxiety about their finances and their future. During this period of economic emergency, families are tightening their belts, and so should Washington. And right now, back in 2020, 2021, we finally got to the rate of building at the same rate of 2008. But now, for the last 12 years, we haven't been building. And so that shortage is now accumulating, and we've hit that 505,000 unit mark. And we need to, we can't just overcome that in a year or even five years, and we're having to continue to build even faster. And now you have even stronger barriers of we have really expensive land prices here. We have really expensive building because of um, shortages across the country and across the world. And so these barriers are getting sharper and sharper, and it's making it difficult to overcome how far we are behind. But as far as the idea of the American dream in Arizona, Katie doesn't necessarily believe it's dead. It's funny you ask this because I was just having that conversation with a friend of mine um, not too long ago about um, is the American dream to still own a home and is that still attainable here in Arizona? And I would say if your dream is to own a home, it's still attainable, although it's getting harder and harder. And in her own experience, she realized just how truly hard it is. In 2016, my unit apartment was dirt cheap. It was 750 for a two-bedroom, two-bath apartment. Um, and now that same apartment costs like $1,200. And so it, this shows that um, I think the average right now is it, to rent a two-bedroom, two-bath in Maricopa County is like $2,294, I believe is the um, data. And it shows you just how much people have to make. And that's just not obtainable. Like even if you have two people working in the household making minimum wage, they're ba- barely able to make rent. And so that really shows you that like even if we had – affordable housing that is available, it's not really affordable for anyone. So what can be done and who's there to help? To see what our housing coalitions and nonprofits were planning for Arizona's issue of unaffordable housing, I attended the Arizona Center for Civic Leadership webinar that addressed affordable housing and homelessness. The discussion consisted of representatives from Liz Phoenix, Arizona Department of Housing, Tucson Housing and Community Development, Native American Connections, and Action Nexus. Although the focus was primarily about helping those with extreme low income or the unhomed, there were a few ideas that could benefit more than just those who make little enough to qualify for help. They discussed out-of-the-box ideas and plans for creating affordable housing. Shanna Ellis is the director of Action Nexus at ASU's Watts College of Public Service and Community Solutions. She has more than 25 years of experience in nonprofit management. In the webinar, she discussed the idea of building more affordable housing in school districts. School districts have a lot of land that they're not utilizing right now, but there's, um, because it's state land um, and it's governed by the legislature, it's very complicated to do anything on those properties other than to school. So, um, but there are, there are ways to do it. Vitalist wrote a great paper this summer, presented it to all the superintendents um, across the state, and some of them are very interested in trying to get workforce housing for their employees on their property. And this doesn't, this isn't about the teachers. It's about the cafeteria workers. It's about the landscapers. It's about the janitors. They can't live anywhere near many schools that they work for. So that makes total sense. Another project that Action Nexus is working on is working with the Bureau of Land Management to access federal land. 
land management. There's a lot of federal land in our state that doesn't have this underlying zoning where you have to do all these complicated things. Can we build on it? We'd like to find out. Um, so we're trying to figure out some creative solutions. And this morning we had a meeting with some other federal partners to talk about possible land uses. Because if they can lease that land, not only with the zoning doesn't apply, but also the expense of purchasing the land goes away. So then all you have is the construction cost. But when you take away half of the cost, it, there are a lot of possibilities with using some of this other land that's not zoned by the city. And Liz Morales, director of the Tucson Housing and Community Development Department, spoke about plans to create affordable housing in the Tucson area with 10 initiatives that she's hopeful will make a difference. First of all, we have been given... Um, direction by mayor and council to develop a, a plan very similar to what city of Phoenix did so that we have a good roadmap. Um, we're very close. We'll be rolling that out next week um, to mayor and council um, and hope, hopefully fina- finalizing that before the end of the year. But that will really, um, I, we have about 10 initiatives that uh, will help us identify how we're going to do um, more affordable housing. And part of that is around zoning um, parking's a big issue around zoning uh, when we're doing affordable housing, um, how to decrease cost for affordable housing. One of the things I love about Tucson when I got here is we have an impact fee waiver for developers who are doing affordable housing, nonprofit developers. I'm hoping we can expand that to for-profit developers as well. Another positive project in Tucson is the ADU, otherwise known as the Casita Ordinance which allows for homeowners to add accessory dwelling units to their properties. The goal around that is really to add more units. Um, when it, of all the public input, very clearly there was a lot of common support for people to develop, uh, to build a, an ADU that would help with multi-generational needs. Also, uh, a rental options. That's why we... This has been a lot about affordable housing because we know that homeowners who build an ADU and can rent it out to someone, it's going to be much less expensive than uh, uh, what we're seeing in the market. Um, We're also looking at using our federal funds to do some programs around amnesty for those that are grandfathered to help bring those up to code for those that are low-income homeowners. Um, and hopefully in the long run, um, replicate some best practices in other states about financing um, uh, for low-income homeowners who want to be able to build a, an ADU on their property. So it's passed. It was a lot of work. Again, it requires a lot of public input, but we overwhelm, overwhelmingly got a lot of support. Tucson Housing also got approval for an overlay district to do the final incentive financing along some of their corridors, a project called the Sunshine Mile. The affordable units could be 15% of units with 80% AMI. The rollout is still in the works, but they're on their way. I think Tucson has been made some progress um, around those areas, but with our rolling out of our plan, we're definitely um, going to be proposing some other ideas. There are many plans for affordable housing, and hopefully in time, with more resources, affordable housing will be available for Arizonans of all incomes. People like Lori Chase, the woman from the beginning of this episode, are wanting to see change, wanting help. Lori even has ideas of her own for more affordable housing. 
I would love to see rental increase caps. They have them in other states. Even some areas of California have them. The Phoenix metropolitan area needs it right now. I'm lucky. My rent's only going up about 200. People are facing 500, 700 elderly people on a fixed income. That's what I would ask for. You know, just slow the roll. Just make it get let's get back to affordable. Let's not let's not make people choose between food or medicine and a roof over their head. So does the American dream still exist in Arizona? Is it dead? Is it on hold until it one day returns? It appears that whether it exists or not, the underlying message of those we heard from in this episode is hope. It may be difficult to find a place to live, but living with hope is something we can do. And if you're interested in hearing about what's going on in the way of affordable housing for extreme low-income families and the unsheltered population, well, we'll dive into that in the next episode of Unaffordable. You just listened to an entire podcast episode about unaffordable housing in Arizona, so this issue must be of some importance to you. To learn more about issues with unaffordability and the organizations we profiled, visit our website, hearearizona.org. That's H-E-A-R, Arizona. Tell all of your friends to check us out, too. They can search for Hear Arizona on their favorite podcast listening app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, NPR One, Spotify. And since we're all about empowering our community, we want you to be a part of the conversation. Follow Hear Arizona on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. This podcast series is made possible by the Nina Mason Polium Charitable Trust. Here, Arizona is a production of the Division of Public Service at Rio Salado College, which includes SunSounds, Spot 127, KBOC, and KJZZ. This episode was produced, written, directed, and hosted by yours truly, Madison Mulvihill. Linda Pastori is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>